Thank you, Rabbi Beth. Thank you, Cantor Barrick. So here we are on the verge, on the precipice of 5775. And the rituals and the traditions that mark our most intensive days, the buildup to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, are all about letting go in healthy ways of the places in us that we are guilty about or ashamed of, the dis-ease in our lives, transforming it into something that's powerful and something good, or at least creating a space in ourselves for that. The very end of the first day of Rosh Hashanah, Thursday at 5 o'clock, hopefully we will all be together again on the beach at Baker Beach. We've ordered sunshine and dolphins and pelicans to be there. We'll see if they show up. And we will cast our bread onto the water, symbolically saying all of this bad stuff, we call it sins or mistakes or transgressions, the stuff that we can let go of, we're going to let go of and we're going to physically transfer from bread into the water, which might seem a little hocus-pocus-dominocus, but there are a lot of things. That wasn't Yiddish, by the way. Um, but there's also the resonance, if you are a traditional Jew, where you do that same thing called kaporot, or kaporos. And has anybody heard that? Are they? Okay, th thank you over there. Alice is going like this. It's not a lasso. It's actually when you take a chicken, if you're a woman, or a rooster, if you're a man, and you say something in Hebrew which transfers symbolically or metaphorically the stuff inside of you you want to let go of onto the chicken or the rooster. And you might think that this is something that was modern, but it comes from the book of Leviticus, which is the very place where the Yom Kippur ritual comes from, where it says that there are two goats. The priests bring two goats in front of the community, and they cast lots onto the two goats. One is sacrificed for the sins of the priests, and the other one the priests put their hands upon, and they transfer all of the bad stuff from the community onto that poor goat. And according to the Torah, it goes into the wilderness, and somehow it is devoured by something that takes the evil away, or the bad part away. In our tradition, it says that we have three obligations in the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Tshuva, which is this process of being self-forgiving, asking others for forgiveness. Tefillah, which is coming and praying together as a community. And if you do your tshuva and you do your tefillah, what does that open up the space to do? What's the third one? Tzedakah, that's right. So there are three T's. You've got tshuva, you've got tefillah, you've got tzedakah. And this week, the week before Rosh Hashanah, the Torah opens with this very powerful story in Nitzavim. It says, Atem Nitzavim Hayom Kulchem, you stand here, all of you, this day. And Moses is pointing out to the entire community who is standing there. And it goes on to list just about everybody in the whole community, the tribal heads, the elders, the officials, all of the men, the children, the women, the strangers, the woodchoppers, to the water bearers. And it even goes on to say, all of you who are standing here before we go into the promised land, and everybody who is not standing here, which is kind of a very strange thing. What does it mean, everybody who's not standing there? The commentary is, oh yes, you have an idea? Who, who does it mean? It means the people that were before you. 100%, yes. You got an A. So come back on Rosh Hashanah and give the sermon, because it sounds like you know it. 
the people who came before us, the ones who aren't physically standing here with their community, and probably, the commentators say, it means all of you, the people who have yet to stand in that place overlooking the promised land. All of us, it says, all of you stand here together, kulanu, all of us. It takes all of us. It refers back in many ways to the story of Pharaoh. When Pharaoh, who arose and didn't know Joseph, looked out at Goshen and saw this people multiplying and multiplying and became fearful of the people of Israel and said, we have to do something about them or they could become our enemy or they could make war on us. So Pharaoh inscripted the midwives and said to the midwives, go out and kill all the Israelite boys. And the midwives said, no way. And they made up some kind of story so that Pharaoh wouldn't hold them accountable. They wouldn't do it. Pharaoh appointed taskmasters and made the Israelites slaves and realized that it wasn't until he got every single person, every single Egyptian, and he says these words. It says, which is the same thing as every single Egyptian was inscripted to take care of killing all of the Israelite boys. And it wasn't until Pharaoh realized this that he became powerful. It takes every single person to do something that is terrible, like murder. So if you're set on evil, you need You need everybody. And if you're set on good, it also helps to have a great majority of power. So I wonder for the tzedakah that we're responsible for doing, what each one of us might do this year. There are a lot of things in our world that are raging, that are real, and that are wrong. Now, I'm only your rabbi, but I'm going to suggest one thing. This is just my idea. There's a lot of other tzedakah, a lot of other, I'm not talking about writing a check, but a lot of other justice that needs to be done. You could think about globally what's happening in the world, how terrible it is. You could think about anti-Semitism. You could think about what ails our own country. I'm going to suggest one thing that historically has been a part of our people's crusade for justice, the Jewish people. It comes from the story of our own slavery and freedom through the Exodus through Pharaoh and Moses, from Egypt to the Promised Land. And if we look back, not all the way, 3,000 years ago, but 50 years ago, in the decade where I was born, the 1960s, Jews stood up, they marched, and they were murdered in the struggle for civil rights. It's another R. It's something that we have gotten used to in this country. It's racism. Ferguson just happened. We can't forget it because it's still happening. And it's frankly impossible to ignore the racial inequality in our country, even in our own little bubble in San Francisco. I serve on the board of an organization called Bend the Ark, a National Jewish Partnership for Justice. The name is based on Martin Luther King Jr.'s quote, the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. He left out the fact that it's human beings, our hands, that have to bend it towards justice. In July, I was invited to meet with Vice President Biden to work on international LGBT human rights at the White House. And as I was leaving Vice President Biden's home, I received an email. It was from the leadership of Ben the Ark, and it said, Rabbi Mintz, we saw on Facebook that you're in Washington. Ah, the miracles of modern technology. You could be traced anywhere. But there is a God, as I say, Baruch Hashem, I got the message, because it was also the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act from 1964. And it was like a version of Back to the Future, because I arrived at the Lincoln Memorial as the sun was sitting, setting, and there was a memorial. 
that was called So All Can Vote. And it harkened back to the day when three American civil rights workers, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner, were murdered in June of 1964. It harkened back to that time because it was 50 years ago, but it was like that. And we think about the fact that the murders at that time sparked national outrage, but it was only last year that the Supreme Court decided to eliminate the barrier against the voting procedure change, changes in many southern states. Chief Justice John Roberts said that the Voting Rights Act still included a permanent nationwide ban on racial discrimination in voting. But federal courts from Texas to Wisconsin are on the verge of deciding whether he was right or wrong, or if what remains of the 1965 law after the Supreme Court's version of it last year is going to be less able to stop states to making it difficult for our citizens to vote. Now, most of these things are happening in southern states, like Southern California, and <laughs> things, places like North Carolina. And, you know, I don't have anything personally against the South. You know, some of my best friends are Southerners. But um, just think about Kentucky. Robert Ransdell um, is running for Senate. He's a write-in contender, but um, his placards say, with Jews, we lose. Rabbi Beth was just on KQED with a beautiful perspective about what it means to be a good neighbor because we all need good neighbors. If you haven't listened to it, go on to KQED. In my perspective, it was really beautiful. And I was told this past week that the members of Bend the Ark, of the leadership, were going to come together with the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, the NAACP, the ACLU, and People for the American Way to deliver the petition that I signed as well as 499,999 other Americans. Half a million people put their name on a petition and let Speaker John Boehner know that they were going to arrive on Tuesday morning with all the members of this coalition so that the American people could be heard. His office knew that they were coming, and although this group never expected to meet with the Speaker himself, what happened next was a first for my very good friend Hadar Suskind, who was the um, policy advisor for Ben the Ark, and this is what he wrote. We got to Boehner's office only to find it literally closed and locked. We knocked, no answer. We called, we got a voicemail. Congress is in session. It's the middle of the day on a Wednesday. That doesn't happen. He writes, I've been kicked out of offices. I've had staff threaten to arrest me if I didn't leave, but I have never ever seen a congressional office closed and locked in the middle of a workday. If anything is more symbolic of the way that our Republican leadership is treating America, I don't know what else is. He wrote, after our failed attempt at the petition delivery, he joined the leaders from our partner organizations at a press conference on the urgent need to restore the Voting Rights Act. His beautiful remarks that he was going to share at Boehner's office are online. Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book this year. There's a great, very short TED talk if you don't have time for the book. It's called David versus Goliath. So I can't believe I just gave you the Cliff Notes version. It's a great book. I read the book, but I also found a 10-minute version. It gives a fascinating challenge to the underdog theory, a reason to really reassess how powerful the minority can be, and especially as a voting bloc. So Ben the Ark has officially launched www.versusgoliath.org or hashtag versus Goliath. 
It's a call to action to continue what we struggle with in this country with our neighbors. The Voting Rights Act is one of the most important pieces of civil rights legislation that exists or existed in our country. Land of the free and home of the brave. So this year when I'm done with my tshuva and with my tefillah, somewhere around October 6th, I'm gonna take that space that I hope is open in me and dedicate some time and energy so that on November 4th, more American citizens over the age of 18 will have no problem getting to the polls. I want us to all remember that this is a country where every child in public school grew up reciting the words to the Pledge of Allegiance. We recited with liberty and justice for, for all. When it comes to voting, let's be David. We can be very powerful David together. Let's make sure that those are not empty words in the Jewish year 5775. As of today, the reality is it's just liberty and justice for some. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you.